In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers, who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In the Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In the Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Thank you for tuning in to In the Pocket. I'm your host, Flo Edwards, and today our special guest is yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope I have pronounced that right. I definitely slowed down to make sure I got every vowel and synonym up in there. Um, he is really very pleasant to talk to. Um, he is in grad school, basically doing a lot of genetic research at the Jackson Laboratory, and he is also a poet. Please, yeah, yeah, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Yahya. I am an Iraqi grad uh, student now in science, so still, still like a baby scientist in training. Um, and I am a first generation uh, grad student, and um, I believe, yeah, no one. I don't think anyone in my family. They all decided to go with actual jobs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Being a uh, being a grad student is a job, and so, but. Um, yeah, I am. I have moved here in 2017 to produce grad, grad school research. Did my master's in Boston, and then I decided I liked the the I liked research, so I decided to go on ahead and do my doctoral uh, my doctoral um, program here in Maine. And the opportunity was too big to pass on to go to the Jackson Laboratory and do my research there. So I decided to move on there. And also I am, uh, I am, uh, I really enjoy doing uh, poetry on the side. And I like to, <laughs> I do like to pursue that as kind of like a, a side, like a kind of a side project most of the time. So how long have you been doing poetry? Like more like uh focused on it would be like in 2019 i've always written poetry but it wasn't to the point of being refined enough like i actually have a binder of (laughs) of poetry i've written before i moved here uh, moved to the united states and it's just every time i open it up it's very uh, cringy sometimes to look at um but yeah in 2019 that's when i started it started when i stumbled in a little tiny venue in Boston called the Boston Poetry Slam. It was in the Cantab Lounge and that was at the time I went there for kind of a birthday wish, uh, kind of a birthday wish, it's just like go to an open mic and perform a poem and then that would be that. And then I, I remember going back home, going back and telling my boyfriend at the time um, 
I think I like this too much. I'm gonna go back there the next well, next week, and it just stuck with me then. And I just kept on going there until the pandemic hit and it had to close down. And I think that's when my like my poetry kind of refined and all the opportunities started to open up. And I think just the the healing effect that it has is just like being able to share your experience. And having um, experiences that makes you a viable kind of lesson to people, and just be teaching people about the life you went through and what are your experiences as a gay Iraqi, and just going through all those steps and being able to share that has made me kind of feel like I have like. It's kind of nice to have something to share with people and be able to impact them in a way that is inspiring, not only to myself, but I feel to a lot of people also, which makes me happy. Man, I can't imagine uh, doing poetry in front of people when you've only been writing for like almost a blink of an eye when you think about like how long a lifespan is. Yeah, and there's, uh, I think it's also, it's kind of like, it's funny because I, doing poetry in front of people for a while ends up just erasing any kind of stage fright you have. So it has helped me with my, like, scientific presentations. Like, if I have to give, like, a presentation about my research or something, like, it's just, I don't have stage fright, thankfully. But even though it's on Zoom, it's different. <laughs> being worried there's technical issue that's plaguing your computer or something. Uh, God forbid we don't have that today. <laughs> yes, fingers crossed. <laughs> so speaking also of your research, um, you're really interested in the pathways of medication and having it be more refined, at least for medication for mental health. Would you expand on yeah. that? Yeah, so um, mental health disorders and psychiatric diseases, um, they have a bad track record with therapies. Like almost all medications available for, for treatment, it's not curative. It's all for management symptoms. What I mean basically is that, um, for example, you have you have broken a bone. And basically the treatment is like you go to a hospital and you put it in a cast and then like basically over time it's not broken anymore. You can use it again. And assuming you have basically a like a healthy body that is able to repair your bone, your bone is not broken anymore. But in these disorders, like neuropsychiatric disorders, they don't go away easily. Like they linger and they just are when the drugs that are there for them are archaic. They haven't been updated. They all do a shotgun approach, which is basically make this one chemical linger around in your brain or, or basically like the way we were taught pharmacology regarding those is that imagine the chemicals in your brains are like keys. And the keys need to do what keys do, which is open doors. So imagine if you have that key just while going around 
for longer than usual and just opening doors that shouldn't be opening in an unspecific way. And that will just cause problems also that you are, that cannot be um, like controlled based on a patient experience or a patient's own body and what are the, what their needs are. And that's kind of like where I think genetics is coming in the way of like making it a personal way to understand diseases and try and make a distinction. For example, my depression would be different than someone else's depression. And I would need a certain drug that is more specific to my kind of depression based on my genetics and what I have that is different from another person's depression who needs a different drug because their genetic makeup is different than mine. And maybe that genetic makeup can give us idea or make sense. For example, maybe it's just one key that they need help with and not like seven, <laughs> seven other keys or one door that needs to be opened that's not open in the regular sense in some ways. Like that's kind of the basic way of, of kind of like trying to relate that. But that's kind of my goal has been with coming to America is trying to be able to contribute to that field and be, I was trained as a pharmacologist and I feel kind of useless when it comes to someone comes in with like a depression, depression and what the doctor prescribed is like this drug that I can go on for like half an hour about the problems it has but side effects and give you like, maybe it has this benefit. Depends on your luck. So I think I'm hoping this research would just, like there's research now when people are kind of more focusing on genetics and focusing in on, in a more magnified way, hopefully more uh, refined treatments can be made and researched and utilized. So the research you're doing now, does it happen to depend on one particular substance or is it already a drug? Like how does that research even start? Well, this, most of the times when you start a research, you need to start from kind of like, um, kind of understanding uh, from the basic mechanism of things, like how things, how the cogs are working inside the brain, for example. And just for example, we would start from, well, this area of the brain communicates with this area of the brain to make this kind of behavior. And it has been shown in research that basically it does this behavior. Well, why does it, is it, for example, let's say in ADHD, these two regions always show up as gets like more active or have this higher amount of chemicals in them. What is it that these chemicals do from a magnified standpoint and saying like, if they, we go down to the nitty gritty of it, is this, this neuron, for example, is this different kind of neuron that responds differently to this chemical different from this uh, neuron that responds differently to a chemical, or even they like this neuron connects to something that is not thought before, or even saying like, uh, sometimes there's a crosstalk between systems. Like sometimes when we talk about neuroscience, people think we only talk about the brain, 
and what it involves in. But sometimes there's crossed up between it and immuno immunity. For example, like there has been shown that people who are susceptible to infections are more prone to um, neuropsychiatric disorders because sometimes it's just like there's crosstalk between our body and our brain. Like our, our, I shouldn't say our body because basically the brain is a part of the body. It's not detached, but basically crosstalk between the peripheral body system, the system that is outside the brain the brain itself and so is that like the, it starts, is that like yeah. the pns and like cns like the central nervous system versus the peripheral nervous system exactly but it also like goes into the vascular system like your blood and your white blood cells your red blood cells and how, how much does get your white blood cells like your blood white blood cell count how much of it is activated how much of it is dormant and when is the system is on high alert for example those can impact your like mental functioning and i think to we have to kind of start from a process and try to dissect the mechanism like how the wheels are turning when it comes to this kind of uh, physiology for so basically how is it working and by dissecting that, we can go back into saying, well, basically we say this kind of this particular part of the brain is having this problem because this kind of thing that it's supposed to be doing is not doing it right. So what are the things that are different that makes it not do these things right? And that's where genetics can come in and just telling you like basically, well, we have less amount of this gene is being produced. So there's less amount of this protein being produced. And that basically you would understand that basically, oh, this protein is basically the blue, the blueprint to shape the door. If we go back to the analogy of the doors and keys, so you know, like basically, so if the door is not being made enough, you don't have the door that, need, that, that key needs to open and so that door is not able to do what it's supposed to do. And then from there, you can basically try and figure out keys that can open that synthetically. So I don't like, I don't know if that, <laughs> that helps with that, but that's the kind of way I can explain it to someone who is kind of, like kind of uh, a, a 10 minutes overview of what kind of research looks like going from like the ground level all the way to making a drug it's complicated process and at least it has it goes through a lot of steps before we can go and say okay we can put a flag on this disease and say we conquered it so in the research you're just looking for better keys versus trying to create more doorways or synapses yeah I think that's the right way of saying that. It's just trying to find a better key, like basically a better, even modifying the keys themselves so that basically you can say, okay, I got the right key here to basically influence that door. Although this kind of like is a bit leaning towards simplistic 
which is like well, sometimes we have to go there with science to communicate it. It's just sometimes it's not a key even. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that is not related to the brain. Maybe it's something that is related to uh, just uh, the immune system. Like maybe there's something else, like your like your parts of the blood is not uh, is not making it. Like because there are some nutrients in our blood that goes into the brain, it gets filtered basically, and then goes into the brain and the cerebral spinal fluid. Maybe some of the nutrients just don't go there, and all of us have been focusing so much on the brain that we're missing this whole entire body that is doing all these things that can be different. Man, research sounds like the largest rabbit hole that you can go down. For example, my mentor would be like, no, like, let's bring you back here. You're, we're losing you in this rabbit hole. Um, I know when you, I always like to compare people's hobbies to what they are actually doing to like give back to the world in a more productive, you know, stereotypical way, like work. And it seems that the connection for your poetry is to share your story and that provides healing. And your research is another way to provide healing or more accurate healing with the medications that are out there or could be out there yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting take on that and i can definitely see the connection sometimes it's just um sometimes it's just uh this is interesting because sometimes i try to mix science with poetry like for example insert some science like analogies into my poetry or just like the, I had a line in one of the poems, which is basically uh, about immigration and, refu and refugees. It's just um, talking about returning back to ions and chemistry. That was the line in it. But sometimes it's just like, I'm still, I think like sometimes the connection is there for other people to see like you saw in it. But sometimes it's just, the more I try to integrate it, the more I kind of find the messaging that helps me kind of improve on both of them and be like, oh, this is an interesting concept in science. Okay, let me try and apply it to poetry. Or maybe I read something in poetry that says, oh, like this is an interesting metaphor. Maybe if I think about my research in a way, like this metaphor is detailed, dissecting this uh, thing so yeah i think there is kind of a crosstalk between those two aspects of my life and they feed off of each other in a way that i hope is positive <laughs> and uh, but yeah it's just an interesting kind of i don't know i've never drawn that conclusion sometimes but some but now i look back at it it's like oh this makes sense now <laughs> yeah sometimes you can't see it until you've gone through it yeah so, um, you, either you're about to host or you did host a Porta Vertas session. Yeah. How was that? Did you already host it? 
I, it, was, it was hosted by uh, another poet, Maya Williams, who is the poet laureate of uh, Portland, Portland, Maine. And I think um, at the time, I really enjoyed it. Um, they do an amazing job at that place. I really highly recommend people who are even like mildly interested in poetry or even like super invested in poetry. They should uh, pay attention to that place because I really like their work. I like what they bring to that uh, space. I like th what uh, what kind of art they're sharing with the world. And uh, so yes, I did uh, I did feature there, and it was uh, really one of it was a every time like I have done some features now, and sometimes the features are just for me they're for me like i go there like even though like it's kind of in some ways it's work but it's also like it's for me like i want to go there and heal myself like and um and i remember like also there's another poetry venue that i featured in which was in new hampshire it was my first in-person uh, uh, poetry feature it's called slam free or die <laughs> which is a kind of a fun um pun and I remember I had to drive like four hours. This is the longest I've ever driven. I'm a baby driver. I haven't driven a car before May and <laughs> May last year. And I went on this four hour drive there and I was just like, I remember arriving there like tired, really sleepy. And I'm just like, how can I do this feature now? And then the moment I got on stage, it's just all faded away because it's just, it's so nice to share your work with people. It's so nice for people to find cause to celebrate and connect to it. And also there's some kind of energy when you enter a room and you perform something that is you write and you are something that you are kind of deciphering, like you're trying to understand and you share it with the room and you find people that connect with that. That makes that is a healing that makes it all the worth it. I think, like, even uh, like, I don't know when the next feature is coming up or the next opportunity to present some of my art comes up, or even research. Like, I think this also extends to when I was doing my research presentations, like, being like, This is my research, this is what I'm hoping to do. There's something really very healing about people understanding and getting it and being able to say oh yeah i i know what this is i can relate to you and this connection that you exhibit with someone is wonderful but also imagine like exhibiting that connection with tens of people in a room in a moment simultaneously that is such a gift that makes me stay in both of those fields and feel connected. Because sometimes like even communicating science can be like poetry. Like you have words, you can put the words in an order and make a metaphor out of it and get a reaction. Science is the same way. It's like you have this data only you can put the data together and put the pieces together and be like, this is something that makes sense. This is a conclusion that makes sense. This is kind of like what I believe is happening with this kind of with this kind of system or part of the brain I'm interested in. And 
that is kind of a rewarding sense of it. Sorry, rewarding part of both of these professions. So going back into how both of them feed off of each other. <laughs> yeah, I love the connections that you made with that. Um, yeah. How do you become a feature for these poetry events? Uh, I think it's mostly starts with just writing and just being able to put yourself out there. So by saying put yourself out there, that means like going to open mics in your area and try to be consistent with your work and try your hand at sending publications, uh, sending, uh, sorry, sending your poetry to publications. And also some, like I was lucky enough in Boston because uh, uh, Boston Poetry Slam had these like slams that they do, which is basically kind of like poetry competitions. And uh, so I had a lot of leeway into just going there and just being able to perform in a in settings that it was just like some teams were competing there from New Hampshire, from other places. So I could like for example, Femmes had people from all over the country to compete in. And that was in Boston, in Cambridge, uh, sorry, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, same with Vox Pop, which is in New Hampshire. So that is something that I would recommend people to try. I'm still kind of like not, I don't get booked. <laughs> like, I don't know, that's not the right word, but I'm still a kind of a, a ba- like I don't get booked as, as much as other poets because I'm still on the journey. And, uh, but that's how I would, I got there is just putting yourself out there and people will gravitate towards you. People will ask, to make a connection with you. People will add you on social media. People will track your work and read it because it's everyone writes different. And if you write in a, in a style that makes people like enjoy it, it's hard to lose that. It's hard to lose people that just gravitate to your art and just feed off of it. I use a lot of metaphors about hunger, I realize, but it's just, what is, what is better than food, honestly? Like, the warm, like a warm meal in the winter now? That's wonderful. I feel like calling you Roxanne Gay with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, I love that you express that you really do have to literally put yourself out there show up to things consistently, make sure that you are practicing what you love, not just alone in some scary basement, but actually (laughs) presenting it. Um, Thank you for sharing that, all your research experience, your poetry experience. Yeah, I've had a great time. Uh, People in the pocket would love to reach you. What's the plug? Oh, um... Let me try and figure out. But it's uh, if you want to reach me at on Twitter, usually that's where I am mostly. That's where I lurk around. It's at Yahya Baraka, so Y E H Y A B A R A K A T four. And uh, on Instagram, I think it's Y E H Y A underscore B A R A K A T twelve. 
I, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one with those names. I just like the numbers four and 12. Like 12 is my favorite number. <laughs> if you like what you've heard and want to hear it again, or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show.